like a ghost. Welcome to the Crooks and Creeps podcast. I'm Crooks. I'm Creeps. And today we're bringing to you episode four and wow. (laughs) That's all I've got to say about that. (laughs) Listen, my notes are titled The Cat Bear Cougar Dog Boy. So it's going to be a good time. The Cat Bear Cougar Dog Boy. I love that. Um, My notes are titled a lot. Um, (laughs) But the point being is I'm super excited to tell you about this guy um, because at one point he was in the FBI's top 10 most wanted. Ooh. And he's from Kentucky. <laughs> Is that considered being infamous or notorious? A lot of Kentuckys. I found a lot of people um, who, well, they're from, this one is from Ohio, but he was convicted in Kentucky. Right. Well, mine is um, around Kentucky, Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania, but uh, kind of throughout Appalachia, so. Mm-hmm. I, I like that. We've got a lot going on. So, you know, I when we started this, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find a lot of information on people who get convicted or have done things in Kentucky. And I was wrong <laughs> because there's a lot of people Incorrect. that people really haven't talked about. And it, it makes it it's, it's very interesting. Kentucky is relatively overlooked, to be honest. The Midwest doesn't claim us. The South doesn't claim us. The East doesn't claim us. No one cares about the us. The Appalachians <laughs> only claim us partly. And that's because of the the mountains running through a quarter of the state. So. The hillways don't really claim us because we have a metro. The city slickers don't really claim us because we have a lot of rural. We're, it's, it's a lot. We're very much so the middle child of the South. We are a melting pot. <laughs> and it, it's it's kind of great, um, but also kind of weird. So I guess I'm just gonna... Wait, wait, wait. What? Do you want the haiku? Why do I keep forgetting? Yes, I do want the haiku. You don't love them as much as I do? It's fine. No, I do. I love them. But I'm also so excited to talk to you about Redacted Redacted. <laughs> um... And that's going to make more sense whenever (laughs) I tell you about who this person is. But please go. Wickedness Mountain. A large furry cat cries. Out for the lady. Out for the lady? Ooh. Nothing witty on this one other than that. It's pretty pretty straightforward. But I appreciate that. You think that. I hope that. It's not. Okay. That's why you've got your notes. I'm excited to I'm excited to talk about that. And Did y'all really just hear Crooks be like, enough about you, back to me. <gasps> no. That's why you've got your notes. I'm excited to talk about mine. <laughs> no, 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 I, no, no, I was saying I'm excited to talk about it with you, like your stuff. Don't I try love... to sound like you love me now. Mother, but no, I, I always get interested in talking about cryptids with you because super interested in cryptids. And since I don't get to cover them, I'm, like, always all up in your business. Especially since you've just shown me the most adorable cryptid ever. Right? I love like, them. I, I want to know more. And if you're covering more cats, then I need more cats. Great. I'm glad I'm, you're excited. I'm a crazy cryptid cat lady. <laughs> oh my god, I need it on a sweater. <laughs> crazy cryptid cat lady. <gasps> yes. That would be yes. so adorable. Oh my gosh, you could be like Mothman holding a cat. <gasps> Wouldn't you buy that? That'd be so cute. I would buy that. Mothman also, on an old recliner It could also cat. just be the woman in this legend with her mask. 
okay, I'll take that too. But I don't know who that is. <laughs> you'll you'll appreciate it. I'm I'm so excited. Retrospect. I'm so excited. Okay. All right. You can go now. Are you sure? I feel validated. <laughs> <laughs> that was the whole point. No, but I really do enjoy it. And I love the cryptid part. But I also, I just, I need to talk about this guy. <laughs> I, I got to. This is the one that I was talking about that he is, um, he's a hot mess. And uh, he, his story is like in between the last one we talked about with Henry, fuck, not Henry, Harry Greenwall and um, Scott Kalogi. Let's see, you started thinking about the kings too. <laughs> I did. I started thinking about the kings and I'm like, it's Henry. No, Harry. Harry and Scott. Like, this one's in between for me, personally. And today we're going to talk about the murders committed by a man named Edward Edwards. No, it's not. That is not his name. Edward Wayne Edwards. Was born June 14th, 1933, and he was obviously an American serial killer who was born in Akron, Ohio. His parents hated him. So, I thought about that. (laughs) (laughs) God has his favorites and he is not one of them. I was like, if my name was Edward Edwards, I would struggle before we get into the fact of his name is Edward Edwards, let's talk about his personal life because I I need to talk about it, for one. So Edwards was born in Akron, Ohio in 1933. In his autobiography, he wrote that he grew up in an orphanage where he was abused physically and emotionally by all of the nuns that worked there. He, I'm so, sorry, he was abused by nuns? Yes, he, he grew up in an orphanage where nuns basically, you know, did their pa- patronage there and, you know, helped these orphans and raised them and took care of them. And he was abused physically and emotionally by them. So when you said his parents hated them, hated him, he really, they really did because he had no parents. Well, now I just feel like a horrible person. Well, to be fair, he killed people, so you're fine. He was a messed up kid, obviously. He, at one point, went to juvenile detention, and it wasn't specified why he went exactly, but we do know that when he was allowed out of juvie, he was able to join the U.S. Marines, and he did. So, Homeboy got into the Marines, but eventually he went AWOL and was dishonorably discharged. And they don't specify why he went AWOL. They just know he did. You know, if if we're talking that he gets out of juvie and he's in his, you know, teens, this is going to be around the time of World War II that Homeboy is able to go. Or, um, like, the aftermath of World War II. Mm-hmm. So, it would make sense that he he leaves he would be very very young um because back then they they drafted they drafted like 16 year olds and he would be around that age right well yeah because it was a massive war it wasn't yeah so he, it makes sense that he probably served in world war ii it doesn't specify that he does but why else would he be in the marines around this time and be discharged dishonorably um after that he traveled frequently in his 20s and 30s and he worked all kinds of different jobs Um, Most notably, he worked as a ship docker, a vacuum cleaner retailer, and a practical handyman. I'm sorry, a vacuum salesman. 
Uh, yeah. Isn't that the most, like, so, 1950s thing you ever heard of in your life? It is, but also, so he was going door-to-door to random people's houses and had access to them in their homes? Yeah, he basically went around and was, like, selling Hoover vacuums and, uh, you know, living his best life, and this was after was he, he came at out. at this point? So, Because no. that's a huge setup for that. So, no, not really. He Surprising. Wasn't. No, at this point, he was not. Um, he was actually trying to do his very best and was trying to clear up the mud that had been spread on his name after he became AWOL. So Edwards was trying his very best doing the, the ship docking thing, the vacuum cleaner retailer thing, the handyman thing. He was doing all that he could. However, in 1955, something happened and it ended up in jail. They don't really specify why he ended up in jail, but I'm assuming some sort of petty crime. Also in 1955, he escaped the jail, which is also in Akron, Ohio, and he drifted around the country robbing gas stations. So this is where he started doing some Grand Theft Auto shit. Okay. He also wrote in his autobiography that he never disguised himself during these crimes because he eventually wanted to be famous. Infamous. But okay. Right, but, you know, he want, in his mind it's famous. Well, he could have just not went AWOL and gotten all kinds of honors for the military. Right, because, I mean, he... boy, Homeboy was jacked. Okay? You have to be jacked to go into the Marines. But unfortunately... Well, I mean, but you also get, like, recognition and medals and, you know... Right. Um, and after he escaped and was jumping from place to place, robbing gas stations, doing the whole shoot em pew pew thing... Um, he didn't end up killing anybody, but he was placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list in 1961 because of this. They, he was seen as arm and, armed and dangerous, so they were like, we gotta catch this dude. But he was caught in 1962, but after he was caught, he was in prison in Leavenworth, with, from which he then was paroled and released in 1967. Where's so he, Leavenworth? Um, Leavenworth, I think, is in Kansas. Okay, I was yeah, thinking, it's in Kansas. All right, I was thinking the Mississippi area for some reason. Um, Midwest, yeah. So he's in Kansas, um, and he stays there for five years, and then he is released from parole in 1967. Edwards also wrote in his book that the influence of the benevolent guard at Leavenworth reformed him. So he's basically saying that. It's the first time he's encountered a kind authority figure. He basically said that that's what ended up reforming him after all of that. And after he got out, he got married and became a motivational speaker. Okay. Now, that's not atypical. I mean, usually it's Jesus, but... He became a motivational speaker for people um, that were like him and wanted to give them some pep talks on being reformed. Okay, so it's like peer counseling. Yeah. Okay. Um, after his good luck started coming through with him being a motivational speaker and getting married and getting out of prison, he also appeared on two television television shows, um, one of them being To Tell the Truth in 1972 and What's My Line? Uh, What's My Line is a TV show where you um, basically... They have celebrity panelists and they question contestants to determine, like, an op- occupation. Oh. And to tell the truth is where you have four celebrity panelists and they're presented with three contestants and they got to see, um, like, who has an unusual occupation. 
So he appeared on both of those, basically being the person who is like in a discussion of what their occupation is. Yeah, yeah. Um, he also, like I said, he wrote an autobiography called The Metamorphosis of a Criminal, The True Life Story of Ed- Edwards in 1972. And by 1982... I think I've heard of that book, actually. Yeah, so... In 1972, everything was going great. Um, but unfortunately, we have some things that happened. Oh, no. So, Edward said that he was reformed and that everything was going great. But then, in 1982, he returned to crime and was imprisoned in Pennsylvania for two years because of arson. Do we know if there's a trigger to this? Uh, not that I'm going to tell you yet. Um, but it turns out we're going to kind of go back and do his crime line real quick. Okay. So that's his, that's his setup. Let's talk about his crime line. I love your crime line. Thank you. I love my crime line too. It is so immaculate. I'm so glad I started doing this. Sorry. I got to get prepared for this. Between 1974 and 2009, Edwards had moved and lived in a dozen different states when he wasn't incarcerated. Now, this is all according to his daughter named April. That's a lot. So was he like a nomadic lifestyle or was he just constantly it fleeing? Seems like, it, it seems like it was kind of a mix of both. Um, but his daughter April is one of the big reasons why we know so much about him right now. Uh-huh. And she basically was giving a tell-all on him. And she had let everyone know that when he was in the process of moving and living in different states when he wasn't incarcerated, he was also using a bunch of different false names and was almost prompting her to use false names as well to get her into the act mm-hmm. um but yeah that was that was oof, sorry i just i'm getting into some creepy stuff and i'm well yeah because shaking. that would be the only way that she could he would his identity would genuinely be hidden because you know if they're all like oh well this girl's name is rose and then they ask everybody in the states that he's been in they're gonna be able to track him by her so mm-hmm. Yeah, him wanting her to use an alias makes sense, but why? Well, I'm going to highlight this, and I'm going to come back to this, but I am going to talk about his crime line real quick. Okay. Okay. So the first murders that Edwards ended up being convicted from um, took place in Ohio in 1977. Okay. So before he got arrested for arson, he had already committed murder um, five years prior. Um, the, I'm so sorry. I just, look, I hate this. The victims were named William Billy Lavaco, age 21 of Doylestown, Ohio, Aww. and his girlfriend, Judith Straub, age 18 of Sterling, Ohio. Oh, they were babies. They were little kids. They were, they were babies. Um, the pair had been dating for eight months when Straub's car was found in the parking lot of Silver Creek Metro Park on August 7th, 1977, with her purse and shoes still inside. Now, according to police, family members had gathered in the parking lot the next day as Norton police, aided by a National Guard helicopter, searched the high weeds for the two. That's, I feel like getting the National Guard involved is a lot for that little to go on. Just a pair of shoes and a purse left in the car. Well, you know, this is also, you know, we're talking about almost the beginning of satanic panic. Oh. And, um, you know, a lot of things were going around in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I kind of get why they were bringing in the National Guard. And they were young. So, you know, they never knew if he was the one who did it or holding her hostage or 
they died together and da 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 whatever, you know. Right. Um, so unfortunately there they found the bodies of Lavaco and Straub on the ground and they were shot at gunpoint with a twenty gauge shotgun. Shot at point blank? Shot point blank. Okay. With a twenty gauge shotgun. So basically they were uh obliterated. Exploded. Yeah. Um unfortunately he did not get charged immediately. Well, yeah, because in the 70s, DNA wasn't a thing, so all they had was circumstantial evidence, right? Yeah, so Edwards had gotten free, but this is one of the murders he ended up getting committed for, or convicted for. Okay. The second pair of murders was another double homicide, and this occurred in Concord, Wisconsin in 1980. So, two years before, he was imprisoned for arson. The pair that were murdered there was Tim Hack and Kelly Drew in which they were stabbed and strangled. Now, you might know these because these murders were referred to as the Sweetheart Murders. I've heard of them. So, the funny thing with this is that even though no one knew who it was, Edwards was questioned at the time of these murders, but they didn't have any basis to hold the, to hold him, so they let him go. Mm, so all they had was suspicion. They had suspicion. They questioned him, but they couldn't. They couldn't keep him by law, so they let him. Go. Yeah, he was detained, but not arrested. Yes. Yeah. And this is where it gets a little upsetting. I mean, if it wasn't already upsetting, but this made me upset just for reasons. I don't know why it bothered me, but I guess because of this. So, Edwards was convicted of those two murders previously, but he even confessed when he was caught after these, you know, four murders previous. He confessed to the 1996 murder of his foster son, 25-year-old Danny Boy Edwards, in Burton, Ohio. So, Danny Boy had lived with Edwards and his family for several years, and Danny's original name was Danny Law Glockner. Edwards murdered him in a scheme to collect $250,000 in insurance money. Okay, but that's weird because his first murders were strangers, essentially, so there was an emotional disconnect. But he had to be emotionally attached to his foster son, so that's... That's what makes me sick. Is that indicative of psychopathy? I would say so. Especially what he did to him after. Oh, no. Yeah, um, it, yeah, this makes me upset. Is it disposal or is it abuse? No, it just, it bothers me on a personal level. And I don't know why this got to me. Like I said, I'm not sure why, I know why Scott Kologi got to me, you know, with the gra- with the grandparents and all that stuff, because mm-hmm. I love my grandparents, mm-hmm. but... I don't, I don't know why this got to me, but it was almost, I don't know, it was a visceral reaction okay. when I was reading this. A little bit of background on Danny Boy. Um, he was a soldier in the U.S. Army, um, and Edwards was really proud of him for that. But before Edwards killed him, he had persuaded Danny Boy to go AWOL from the Army like how he did. Why? After he successfully got Edwards to go AWOL from the Army, he took him back into the woods behind their house in Burton, Ohio. 
There, Edwards shot him twice in the face, killing him, and left his body in a shallow grave where it was later discovered by a hunter. Mm. So, I guess it bothered me because not only did he ruin his life, Edwards, right. you know, he went AWOL while he was in the army and did all of that, but he convinced... Why he wanted him to do that. Right, but he convinced his foster son to do the same thing and ended up ending his life. You know, and it just... I I guess what bothers me is the, the lack of care. He left his body in a shallow grave, you know, which indicts, you know, or, or indicates that he kind of cared about him because he cared enough to bury him. But at the same time, is that... Is that him paying respect to killing his foster son, or is that just trying to cover up his crime? What? How did he dispose of his previous victims? They were just there. They were just there, like, at the scene. Okay, then I would say that it was more indicative of some type of guilt. Not necessarily care, because he didn't care enough to dig him a full grave. Right. And not necessarily, like, evidence disposal because he did it sloppily but I would say panic and guilt after the fact because he didn't do that with his previous victims and he hadn't been caught for that crime yet so he had no reason to think that he needed to cover anything up. Right and he was also he was also 63 years old when he killed his foster sons. So he could have also what? been age. He was 63 he was born in 1933 and this happened in 1996. Why? I don't know. I mean, I guess you said the insurance money, but is that really all? Yep. The reason. That was all for the reason. $250,000. That's not a lot. <laughs> it's not, right? It's not enough for a life. Right? <laughs> um. So, kind of looking more at their crime line, I've got some pro- possible murders that he has been linked to, potentially. Mm-hmm. But they're not exactly sure. Um, so according to a man named Dr. Phil Stanford, he wrote a book called The Peyton Allen Files. And he says that Edward may have been responsible for the murders of Beverly Allen and Larry Peyton in Portland, Oregon in 1960. Um, he said that while there were two men arrested in prison for these murders and released upon prison early, um, authorities maintain that the correct persons were prosecuted, but he feels like Edwards could have been the people, or sorry, the person to actually commit these murders based on how he acted with the last two pairs of couple murders, or the last double homicides. I'm sorry, did you say he feels that the correct people were indicted, but he feels like Edwards could have had something to do with it? Um, the authorities maintain the right people were indicted, but okay. Phil Stanford feels like that they okay, were just okay. saying that I for some Phil sort of Stanford justice. Was one of the authorities, and he was contradicting myself. I misheard, I misheard you. Oh no, he thinks that the authorities were just doing that. Like they really think that that's the right person. But he thinks that the crimes are more leaning toward the style of Edward Edwards. Mm-hmm. Also, in March of 2017, Detective Chad Garcia of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office, who was in charge of the Sweetheart murders described how the murders of Hack and Drew were solved following a tip-off from Edward's daughter. April. Mm-hmm. Garcia had said, quote, that she was pretty confident there are at least five to seven more murders that Edward's committed, and who knows beyond that. 
He gave a list of 15 confirmed and suspected victims, adding that he was less sure Edwards was involved in the Zodiac killings. Involved in or the Zodiac killer? Was involved in. Because one of the main theories of the Zodiac killer is, well, was, that there was more than one. Like they were copycatting off each like other? The, like the, it was a syndicate. Okay. So they said that he was less sure after all of these suspects came out if he was involved because it is, there There was speculation that he was. Yeah. There was also um, speculation from a a retired homicide detective, John Cameron, um, that he said that he was pretty sure that Edwards was responsible for several high-profile cases, including, like I said, the Zodiac killings in the Bay Area of California, and even the murder of John Benet Ramsey. That's that name is super familiar, and I cannot place it. The the baby that was kidnapped, the young girl that was kidnapped and found dead in her basement. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thoughts? <laughs> I don't. I'm confused. <laughs> About what? <clears throat> um. Well, it's the fact that he was going through so many states. It. I mean, he could have been linked with. The Zodiac killings or, like, the I-65 killings or any of the interstate killers, really. Right. But, uh, I don't, I'm just, I still don't understand his, why he acted the way he did with his foster son. I don't think we're ever gonna know, unfortunately. Like, and I couldn't find anything and other at, than... at 63, there's no, so, like, most, like, schizophrenia or you know um psychosis bpd but yeah, not bipolar BPD, yeah the uh the personality one borderline yeah. personality yeah things like that tend to develop between puberty and your early 30s right right and you know that would make sense although he did not start he did not start killing people until 1977 and that would put him at uh 44 that's still late. It's very late. He got he got started with his serial killing spree late. And it also doesn't make sense why he went AWOL in the military if he like had it in him to want to kill or to enjoy killing. You would think the army would be where he thrived. Again, um, it could be a byproduct of abuse not wanting to go into the military and being abused. Because when you go into the military, you have to get broken. You get broken like a Bronco. You know what I mean? Like, they break you down to build you back up because they want you psychologically how they want you to be, to kill people. So he could have just... Yeah, you have to be able to disassociate to handle things like that. Yeah, so, I mean, he could have just... He could have went AWOL because he couldn't handle it or... This no, was that make before sense he broke. Growing up in trauma should absolutely prepare you to be in the military. You should be able to handle it. Yeah, you know. Because you already is... have survival tactics in place from your trauma. You would think so. But he could have. that could have also been the thing that, you know, caused him. Because right after he did that, that's when he started robbing gas stations. Right, but those weren't. 
violent. Like, yeah, he had a weapon, but, like, they weren't brutal. Right. And I guess you're never going to know, like, why he snapped, how he snapped. It, It makes no sense. Um... He's very akin to Henry Greenwell with his killings don't make any sense. Um, and it's like, for one, he, he has this trauma. He goes to the Marines, which I believe would almost be a force of punishment. That's yeah, one of the toughest branches you as know, far as the abuse or whatever. He gets out. He tries to do well by working, but then he ends up going to jail, robbing, and then he goes to Lavenworth, where he says he's reformed, and then he has this, you know, good 10-year span where he's, you know, doing great, but then he goes right back into his old ways. Maybe he's trying to repress what he wanted to be, and he just couldn't do it. He just snapped. Okay. I can see that, except most of his abuse was done by nuns, so you would think his associations would have him being violent to women. But he did kill pairs. He did kill lovers. That was his whole thing. Killing young teenagers that were in love. Maybe he didn't like the idea of love. Even though he was married and had a daughter, I don't know. It makes no sense. I his his brain it, it no worky. I don't get it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't get it. Um, it it's it's unfortunate, is what it is. So now, what he was sixty three when he killed his foster son. Yes. What happened after that? Did was he did he die in prison? Um, let's get into that. Did anybody interview him? Did he ever justify anything in trial? Again, let's get into that. Will you ask me for thoughts? Okay, I I promise. I'm gonna, I promise, I promise. Okay, so, I wanted to put in this little tidbit too, because this is important. Um, But in 1993, the FBI, he wrote, there was a letter to the FBI um, that basically said that Edwards had requested his chem- criminal history and records for cities in 19 different states. And there is a person named Edgar, or sorry, John Edgar Hoover, which is a law admin, and he used to work with the FBI. He said that, quote, it was more or less giving him permission to proceed with his bio- autobiography. Um, he said that he was needing that so he could write that in his autobiography. Wait a minute. When was Son of Sam? Son of Sam law means you can't profit off of stuff like that, right? Um, that was around Satanic Panic. Too. Son of Sam was around Satanic Panic, and that was in uh, 1976. So his autobiography would be... Just for fame, like he stated when he was younger. Yes. In his autobiography, he started writing it in 72, so four years before Son of Sam. So right, be- so before Son of Sam laws. Okay, okay. So it was also for monetary. Yes. So he had wrote this letter to the FBI, and they basically was asking for permission to write about this in his book and get all the information he could. Um, but John Edgar Hoover had wrote, he said basically, don't put anything bad about the FBI in there, mm-hmm. and you can write the book. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, and Edward also said that he was writing a book about criminals he met while incarcerated. And some of the names that he met were Anthony Provenzano, mm-hmm. also known as Tony Pro, who was a mobster. Oh, it sounds like that. Um, he was part of the Genovese crime family in the New Jersey. He also met Charles Manson and Jimmy Hoffa. And Jimmy Hoffa was an American labor union leader who served as the president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. What? We'll get into that later. But you don't have to know about it. It's not important right now. Wait, 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 wait. You said Tony Pro was a mobster? Yeah, Tony Pro. Okay. So. Tony Pro I don't know. I was thinking, I don't know if I can say this without getting in trouble. Before getting shot? Kind of. Yikes. Um, I don't know about that, but continue. One of my associates' mothers mm-hmm. was the daughter of a mafia member. That's interesting. And grew up in that life. What? Mm. That's that's it. That's all. We're stopping there. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's interesting. But she's like a massive suburbanite now, and I just, I'm, it's such a, not a juxtaposition, but like a, perpen- like a perpendicular, what am I trying to say? Word for me. Word for you? Yes. A parallel? No. Parallel is side by side. I know, a perpendicular but they're not touching. Like a clash. Yeah. Not a, it's not a, a perpendicular uh perpendicular thought. I don't know, it's perpendicular jarring. Perpendicular comparison. Kind of, yes. It's just jarring to know that she was like a mafia member yeah. and now she's just like a suburbanite who like makes vodka volume jokes casually. It's okay, weird. but that's but that's kind of cool. Like more power to them. Yeah, it's definitely intriguing. We don't have time to pack all that. We legally can't unpack all that. Yeah, we legally cannot, but that's <laughs> awesome. Like, I find that so interesting, but... Hmm. Cool. Um, so, basically, let's talk about April real quick. Mm-hmm. Okay? The daughter. Yeah, the daughter of Edward Edwards. That he didn't kill. No. But the he daughter he loved. Son. The daughter that he loved. He loved... Oh. Well, his only daughter, but he loved her. So he did have woman issues. Yeah, but he didn't kill his daughter. He loved her. He just didn't like other women. Right. So, now, yeah. I'm saying the fact that he chose to bestow love on his daughter and not his son is probably some Foster's kind of... Foster's son. It's probably some kind of internalized thing about the nuns probably. not giving him love and him wanting to wanting them to love him because he loved them or whatever. But it's because they were parent figures. Probably, yeah. And Do- April was so smart. She had an, she, for some reason, was picking up some vibes from her dad and was like, I feel like he could be the reason why all these people died. And, you know, he wasn't ashamed of what he was before. He wrote his autobiography talking about his, his life as a criminal and was a motivational speaker and all of this stuff. And she basically was like ratting him out. Mm -hmm. So in 2009... Edwards ended up being arrested for murder in, guess what, Louisville, Kentucky. Good old Louisville. Good old Louisville. Um, Neighbors had described him as pleasant and neighborly. Look at that. A double life. Mm Mm-hmm. Another double life. So I just wanted, I just wanted y'all, I just wanted you to know that he lived a double life. (laughs) Um, 
So uh, he ended up getting arrested in in 2010 during his trial. He pleaded guilty to the murders of Billy Lavaco, age 21 of Doylestown, Ohio, Judith Straub, 18 of Sterling, Ohio, and Tim Hack, 19, and Kelly Drew, 19, both of Jefferson, Wisconsin. Okay. So two couples and his foster son? Yes. However, he then had a jailhouse interview in which he confessed to killing his foster son, Danny Law Glockner, age 25. Oh. So he did admit to the death of his foster son in a separate interview. In 2011, he was then sentenced to death for the killing of Danny Law Glockner. Um, So he was not sentenced for the deaths of um, the four other teenagers. But he was sentenced to death for his stepson, or foster son. In 2011. In 2011. He was sentenced to death. In what state? I'm pretty sure Kentucky. I didn't know we had the death penalty. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, good for us. Okay. Edwards was sentenced to death um, by lethal injection on August 31st, 2011, for the death of his foster son. Mm-hmm. However, Edwards was rushed to the care of Corrections Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio, on April 7th, 2011, and died of natural causes, ultimately avoiding the lethal injection that was set for him not four months later. I'm sorry, but... Mm, 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 why did he go to Ohio if he was being held in Kentucky for medical treatment? I don't know. That's odd. Because he was, I'm 95% sure he was held in Kentucky. Let me, let me look that up on. Well, right. If he, but if he was held in Kentucky, why did they transport him to Ohio for medical? Unless he was in Louisville and that was like, he just wanted to just go. Just the closest equipped. Yeah. He was in custody at Louisville Metro Corrections. And he went to Wisconsin to face his murder charges mm-hmm. and be on trial. Um, but I think they held him in Louisville and then he went to Ohio because it was the most equipped. Okay, so Wisconsin issued the death penalty or Kentucky issued the death penalty? I'm so confused about the jurisdiction on this. This is why we can't have traveling murders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so upset. Okay, hang on a minute. Pause. He was sentenced, I think, Wisconsin. That would make sense because the trial was in Wisconsin, but he was held in Kentucky. So I'm going to assume Wisconsin. Point being, I'm confused. I but either Wisconsin had the death penalty. What? So what were they going to do? Transport him to Wisconsin to be lethally injected? Or they were going to hold him in Kentucky until it was about time for him to go to Wisconsin or just... I don't know, man. The justice system makes no sense. It's all bureaucracy. The death penalty is in Wisconsin was repealed in 1853. So it had to have been Kentucky. Yeah. So I'm saying, well, no, because he was only convicted in murder of his son. Foster son. Yeah. And according to this... Kentucky's death penalty statute has been in place since 1976, so we've had death penalty here. Right. And Kentucky has not executed a death row inmate since 2008, which would make sense because he died of natural causes in 2011. Okay. 
So, Kentucky. Okay. Good old Kentucky. So, he narrowly avoided the justice he was going to receive by lethal injection on August 31st, but unfortunately, no one was able to see that. Um, but his autobiography is still out for purchase today. Uh, okay, where do the proceeds go? Not a clue. Mm. Um, I'm gonna look that up because it's still it's still available. And you would think they would go to her daughter, right? As next to kid, or his I daughter. would think it would go there. Um, I, I, I want to throw up thinking about him. To be honest. Just because it's like, oh my god. But I hate it because of the four teenagers that were killed because of him. And it's so sad. I don't, it's so weird that he killed random people and then also killed a family member. That's usually, it's one or the other. Yeah, it's usually familicide or just homicide in general. And uh, that is the story of... uh, Whatever his name is. Um, Edward Edwards. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> How can you forget an iconic name like that? I don't know. Um, I guess because I'm trying to not, like, throw up at him every time. He's fine as grave and wretch. So. Does he have a grave? I'm sorry. I wouldn't think so. If he died in state custody, he was probably cremated, right? You gotta forgive me. I didn't understand a word you just said to me. <laughs> I I was I was looking at my at the time on here and I zoned out. Can you please repeat? <laughs> I said just find his grave and go wretch on it. And then I was like, well, he doesn't have a grave if he died in state custody. He was probably cremated, right? Probably. All I know is that, you know, cremation was too good for him. As was um, dying of natural causes, but, you know, it's fine. It's fine. I I have a lot of opinions about... It's fine. ...about criminals. I come from a family of criminals, so it's okay. Don't we all? I feel like... <laughs> I feel like if you live in Kentucky, you are at least related to one person who's done something very bad. Like, we're the Australia of the United States. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) Because where Australia was a penal colony. I mean, I would think that's Texas, but... You know, you mentioned we had an abnormally high rate of sanatoriums. I wonder how many penitentiaries we have. There are five federal prisons in Kentucky. God bless... And 14 correctional facilities. What state has the most penitentiaries? Or Texas. It's Texas. Oh, look at me. I know my stuff. You want to take a guess at the number? We'll give you a taste the number of the Patreon of, trivia here. The number of prisons in Texas. Can you give me of like a range of like... It's three numbers. I'm feeling 238. 313. Good God. That's way more than I thought. It has 110% more places of incarceration than colleges. That's a shame. And think of how many of those could be turned into rehabilitation centers. Louisiana has the highest incarceration rate. It's a little over 1,000 per 100,000. Well, there's... I don't want to say this, and it'd be taken out of context, so that's why I'm saying it like this. It's a Gulf state. They have access to drug trade. Yes, it is a Gulf state. state. They have access to drug trading, and they also have a high population 
of people of ethnicities and of color. Therefore, their crimes are going to be much more purposefully incarcerating them. Right. It's not that it's, it's yeah. not that ethnic people commit more crimes. It's that white police arrest ethnic people more often. Yes. Yeah, there you go. So, I can see that, unfortunately. And this is why the justice system needs to change. If you are a person of ethnicity out there, the easiest way you can change our justice system is to become a cop yourself. Pro tip for the day. Or a lawyer, or, you know, a dispatcher, or something along those lines. Change it from within, because changing it from without's not working. Right? And to lighten things up, I am drinking Moscato out of my Have a Merry Squatchmas mug that I just got. I am so excited. (laughs) It's probably the most redneck way to drink wine, but it's all good, because Moscato sounds fancy, so it evens out. Are you ready for the cat bear cougar dog boy? Yes. Um, <laughs> but can we take a quick recess? Uh, yeah. We're back. We're sorry. We're trying to not fall asleep. We hell. It's all you. I'm Gucci. Oh, I was like, we hell. I was like, we hell. We snarl. <laughs> sorry. I. <laughs> My brain just doesn't work. It's okay. Um. Anyway, cat bear dog thing. Cat bear cougar dog boy. So it's five things in one. Eh, but not really. I love but it. Maybe. It's like men's shampoo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> shampoo, conditioner, face wash, body wash. You should Shaving be, cream. You shouldn't know. be yeah. able to use all of that in one. I'm so sorry. And this is why you have acne. Sorry. <laughs> I, I'm not judging. She says judgily. I'm not judging. <laughs> I I don't do face wash, but I, I know the difference between shampoo and body wash. They wash my face, but not with face wash. But I do use, like, a facial moisturizer. I mean, I do that. I take care of my Which skin is like, like that. Oil of forget-me-not, so it's not because I'm bougie, just because I like plants. I have composite skin, so I don't get that luxury. I have to buy half and half for... Mm. Or I have to moisturize and then take salicylic acid and just wipe it on my face. Yeah, so I have composite skin too, so I moisturize and then I tone. So I use forget-me-nots for my moisturizer and I use a witch eye. But in the winter, I don't have to tone because my skin would be dry as fuck. Oh yeah, no, my hands look like I am suffering. Ashy? I'm more than ashy. I am not ashy. I am Kratos. Ashy. I suffer in the winter. <laughs> Which is funny because aren't you like Swedish? Yeah. And Don't, Welsh. Isn't that a, a... And Welsh. Isn't that like a winter climate? Yeah. Both of them are. Yeah. Um, I obviously didn't inherit that part of my uh, my blood. Uh, I think you just uh, have spent the last 20 plus years climatizing to this region. And I don't like it. Yeah, well. I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. I think every Kentucky native has said that at least once. All right. So have you thought about this poem? I thought about it good enough, um, but I still have no witty comebacks. It's tough. Can you read it to me one more time? Something about a mountain. (laughs) There's a mountain in there. I know for Uh, sure. That could be the Hobbit. (laughs) Wickedness Mountain. A large furry cat cries out for the lady. 
so a large cat creature lives in a mountain and wants to kill ladies. Hmm. We'll find out. But no, really. So, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I have nothing witty. The wampus cat is our topic of discussion today. Okay, um, I know this. You know this? I know the wampus cat. So now you know why crazy cryptid cat lady was perfect to be merged. I I love this. I'm so excited for the wampus cat. So fun fact, <laughs> my dad had a CD uh, in the early 2000s, and he had a friend whose CD handle was wampus cat. I I kind of love it. Yeah. I wanted to show you. And wa- I love I love Wampus Cat. Like, look how fun. Six legs. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. But I love... Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, but also, one of my favorite places to eat in Lexington is... is a Wampus Cat? No, 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 no. No. But oh. it's it's called Caddy... It's called Caddy Wampus Station. Well, now you know it's an actual word and it actually means something, right? Caddy Wampus? Uh-huh. That means to sit at an angle or crooked. Like when you put a dresser in the corner, it's cattywampus. Uh, yeah. I thought this was related to the wampus cat. And I no! Got excited. Cattywampus is like an Appalachian backwoods term I... for diagonal in a corner. I feel lied to. <laughs> <coughs> I, I'm happy that you knew that. I'm sad I didn't. Well, I'm glad that I got to learn you about cattywampus since I don't I get to learn to you s- about the wampus cat. I went to school in Appalachia and I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, but I'm tell I I need you to talk to me about the cattywampus. <laughs> 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 I need you to talk to me about the wampus cat. Yeah, the wampus cat. The wampus cat. <laughs> All right. As with most Appalachian lore, the origins are scattered and different areas have different versions. Mm-hmm. Um, so Appalachia was full of the hardworking, as it took a lot to survive out here. Excuse me. And most of the people up to the challenge were um, typically migrants from Germany, Scotland, or Ireland. Um, they tended to be more used to the mountains, to the harsher elements, to the not being involved in city life. Um Unlike a lot of Englishmen and Frenchmen. So, mm-hmm. the Germans and Celts tended to be considered barbaric by English and French standards. Um, much the same way that Native Americans were viewed as barbaric. Um, mm-hmm. Which means for the most part, these people that were settling in the mountains interacted with the Native Americans more than the city settlers like Englishmen and Frenchmen. Hmm. Because they could understand better the quote-unquote barbaric ways of someone living close to nature of a people that, you know, participated in war and peace and had, like, a gentleman's code about the tribes they they fought with or the tribes they traded with and things like that, as opposed to Englishmen and Frenchmen who were like, no, this is my territory, for no reason. I love that. I really appreciate your French um, accent, too. <laughs> Thanks. It was atrocious. <laughs> I, it's better than what I could ever do. Um, because, for one, I'm not French. And two, French. I struggle with accents. So, that's perfect. Uh, cest un palme. What? Cest un palme. Yeah, it's an apple. Je m'appelle pâté. Is I farted. Je m'appelle pâté. 
Okay. Uh-huh. One of my friends in middle school, her mom didn't like when she said she farted because it was unladylike, so she taught her to say it in French. What was that's still saying I'm I farted just yeah, in but it French. sounds better. And the other phrase I know is je suis prêt, which is I am ready. <laughs> Listen, I'm cracking myself up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Do you remember the scene in Dexter's laboratory when? Oh my god, I'm gonna do fromage. I'm gonna do fromage. Yes. As soon as you said, uh, um, anyway, um, Caddy Wampus. Wampus cat. Okay. Okay. Natives that inhabited the Appalachian Range included Iroquois, Powhatan, Cherokee, and Shawnee. Mm-hmm. Y'all didn't know the mountains are so diverse, did you? Well. <laughs> Judging us because we have accents and can't speak French. I, well. <laughs> I thought Blackfoot. Yeah, Blackfoot. It's, uh, the Blackfoot tribe was, um, one of the main native tribes that were around Harrodsburg and were some of the ones that committed some of the attacks on the four people, mm-hmm. which, you know, go, go natives. Cause I would have done the same if someone rolled up in here and built a fort in my house. All right. So, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but anyway, sorry. Um, diversity. So the issue of diversity is that there are communication barriers, right? For example, the Cherokee and Iroquois speak Iroquoian language, but even that has several denominations like Mohawk, Oneida, Onondaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora. Mm-hmm. And that's within one subset of language. The Powhatan speak Algonquin, but an eastern version that seems to be used near the Virginia area, while the Shawnee speak a central dialect of Algonquin that seems to be spoken around Kentucky, Ohio, and West Virginia. And both tended to be spoken around Pennsylvania, though the central version was more common. Um, And speaking of Pennsylvania, there are Pennsylvania Dutch Amish that speak their own version of German. Uh, So, like, Germany German is different than Austrian German... Scots Gaelic is different than Irish Gaelic. Yes. Spain Spanish is different than Mexican Spanish. Yes. So you have German, Scots, and Irish. You have at least, we'll say, half a dozen Native American tribes. Two of those tribes contain half a dozen languages within themselves. So you have all these people trying to communicate and speak and live next to each other. And this is how stories get hyper verbalized and passed around and little details get changed over time and it turns into a whole different version and so there are multiple stories of the wampus cat right so beyond the bounds of language appalachia ranges from new york to alabama yeehaw or from maine to mississippi depending on the sources um i think one source was based on, like, the current mountain range and one source was based on the mountain range when it was younger. And then some sources take in the cultural aspect of it. Some sources say that the Appalachian mountain range goes up into Canada. Mm -hmm. So it's just a huge area. But the Appalachian Cherokee Nation has a very informative website that states, quote, the Appalachian Cherokee Nation is one of over 200 non-federally recognized Indian tribes in the United States. Our members reside in the states of Kentucky, Indiana, North Carolina, Ohio, Oregon, 
Texas, Mississippi, Florida, Tennessee, Wisconsin, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. End quote. So I guess it depends on whether you're referring specifically to the mountains or the foothills, the rivers, the gorges, the forests, the wildlife, the valleys, the erosion, the age, uh, the culture. It, it, it all varies. Mm-hmm. So a traveler with either a bad memory or a grand imagination could tell one story in Ohio and then tell a different version of the same story in Alabama because storytelling was a means of entertainment. And you adapt your story to your audience if you're a good storyteller. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And in Appalachia especially, stories were a way to give life lessons. So you could also adapt it to the uh, symbolism for something that someone is going through. Yeah. Another may hear the story and misremember details or add things that scare them specifically. Um, you know, if you're telling a story to a kid and you want to impress them, you're like, oh, that thing had teeth that were eight inches long and mm-hmm. it was really like a three inch tooth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I caught a catfish. It was 25 pounds. It was a 12 pound fish. You if you were lucky. You make everything grandose. Yeah. Yeah. So to adapt a story is harmless and necessary, you know depending on what your needs are, Mm -hmm. to alter the relevance to your audience and self, unless you're trying to research something that has hundreds of years of separation from the origin and is now bastardized based on the teller. But it's fine. (laughs) But it's fine. So all of that is to say there are varying reports of this cryptid, be it etymological, regional, or cultural. Right. Descriptions include... A woman who covered herself with cougar skin to spy on a hunting party and was then punished by the shaman, cursed to turn into the thing she pretended to be for deceiving the hunters. Hmm. She can stand on the hind two legs as a woman, but she looks like a cat because of the skin. This could explain why mountain cat cries sound like a woman's screams. Didn't think about that. It's supposed to be a Cherokee legend, but... Reading it through a 21st century lens, it also kind of sounds like an exaggerated version of a white man over-dramatizing a punishment by calling it a curse, mm-hmm. and the tale taking a life of its own from there, um, especially, like, to fear-monger Native Americans. Right. Because, realistically, they didn't, you know, they weren't magical. Shamans weren't magical. He couldn't have actually turned her into a cougar. He could have banished her from the tribe or made her wear the skin for months or something like that. Right, but they're not magical. Right. Just, it was just another way to draw a, a imaginary line of distinction between yeah, us them and, them. and... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then the Scots do tend to believe in magic. You know, they have their fairy rings and their changelings and things like that. So right. a Scotsman could have heard this and been like, no, that's 100% truth through misinterpreting, like, the language barrier. Right. So it could have been an innocent accident, but it just sounds dramatic to me. Right. So if this is a piece of native lore, please let me know, and I will correct it. As with everything else, you can email us, and we will make an announcement, or we'll put it on the socials or whatever. Um, but it seems to be against the way most natives treated their women. Um, women tended to be allowed on hunts. And if they weren't allowed on hunts, they were still at least relatively respected. 
mm-hmm. they were treated differently than than white women. Right. So, they but got a little bit more of an appreciation. And, right, uh, because they appreciated rights. the natural world and women brought life into the world. Right. But uh, tri- each tribe had their own culture. Some tribes were more violent, some tribes were less violent, and so on and so forth. So I, I could be totally wrong. Um, but piggybacking off of this, there's another indigenous American tale originating in North Carolina of a golden-eyed demon cat. Oh, man. The eyes were haunting. And this cat had an aura about itself, so that thinking of it alone could give it power over one's mind. Beyond causing mischief, eating livestock, and scaring the children, the cat seemed to be interfering with the tribe's dreams. As men do, they wanted to hunt the beast. Right. But their medicine man warned it would be unwise to do so, and that many lives may be lost. Mm-hmm. Compromising, the tribal chief sent one of their best warriors out alone, so as not to lose many men. The warrior returned, raving and tearing at his eyes. The demon cat had infected his mind. Oh, Lord. But his wife wanted to avenge her husband, to restore his honor, to make safe the home in which she lived, now with not only an impaired husband, but so others didn't fall to his fate. She went to the medicine man, seeking his counsel. She left with a bobcat mask. Hmm. She went on a hunt. But how could she track a creature with silent footfalls? How could she stalk an animal that has independent control of its ears to better isolate minuscule sounds? Predators don't expect to be attacked. Prey do. So she snuck up on the demon as he drank from a pond, his back to her. He began to turn around, and at that moment she screamed, high, undulating, and sudden. The cat flinched, turned to fight, saw the mask, and the unfamiliar way the animal stood, and bolted. She returned to the village, having successfully banished the demon cat, her spirit remaining in the, the hills as the wampus cat, a protector. I like that. Which, I mean, it makes sense, because if you think about, like, the way you're supposed to scare a bear off, you're supposed to, you know, you're hey bear, you're supposed to make yourself talk big. to it, yeah. yeah. And especially for a predator that's used to roaming this range to see something that it doesn't know and doesn't know it's going to eat him. And it's, and is a and is facing him rather than running away, like right, not acting like a predator, right. or yeah, or not, not acting, acting like, like prey. prey. So now, whether her spirit remained in the mountains as the protector voluntarily, or whether her spirit remained in the mountains to keep the wampus cat from returning, mm-hmm. we don't know. So. The appearance of the Wampus Cat is hugely disputed as well. The story of the Wampus Cat by Dave Tabler states, quote, A half-dog, half-cat creature that can run erect or on all fours, like the Popelik monster. Mm-hmm. That's not okay. I don't like that. It's rumored to be seen just after dark or right before dawn all throughout the Appalachians. But that's all, about all everyone agrees on. In non-Native American cultures, it's a howling eagle creature with yellow eyes. Mm-hmm. End quote. Which to me just sounds like a way to keep your kids from playing in the mountains when mountain cats are hunting. According to locals in Conley, Arkansas, the cat is described as, quote, a mountain lion with six legs, four for running and two for fighting. End quote. In Clark Fork, Idaho, the cat is described as having a, quote, ball-like formation, end quote, at the end of its tail, 
seemingly covered in sharp quills or spikes, like that one dinosaur. Fun fact, J.K. Rowling's Pottermore story, History of Magic in North America, lists the wampus cat as a source for hair used in magic wands. Ilvermoni also has named one of its four houses for the mythical beast. Yes, it Yes, it does. What's your Ilvermorny house? Wampus cat. Yours is Wampus? No, I haven't taken the Ilvermorny test. I've just taken the... Unpuckwuggy. The traditional one. What the fuck is a Puckwuggy? <laughs> Did you just lie to me? It's not a real... It represents the heart and it favors healers. Okay. It's basically... It's basically like the same thing as Hufflepuff, which I am also. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't tell. I'm a Slytherin. I bounce between Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff. And listen, I bounce between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. Before everybody comes at me for being a Slytherin, they're not inherently evil. They're inherently cunning and ambitious. Those qualities can be used for good. If you think a doctor isn't cunning, you're wrong. Or ambitious. (laughs) Definitely ambitious. I mean, good God. Or, or like, that. We'll go with Michelangelo. (laughs) Oh, I love Maya Angelou. Yes. Bitch, I said Michael Angelo. I had to rethink what I said. I thought you said, <laughs> I thought you said, I thought you said Maya Angelou, and I was like, oh, we love her, and, and so I rise. She's she's a badass. I think she'd be more of like a Gryffindor, to be honest. Probably, yeah. But, it took a lot of bravery to be her. Mm-hmm. Big cats known to have roamed Appalachia include the bobcat, lynx, or wildcat, as we call it. Yes. Mountain lions or cougars, though the eastern subspecies was declared extinct in 2018. Black panthers or painter cats. The wild cat is still around today, but interestingly, the North American black panther is beginning to be considered a cryptid in its own right as there is no official evidence for them, according to BigCatRescue.org. Oh, yeah. However, it's not that big black cats don't exist, but that people are misidentifying cats, as black leopards, jaguars, and cougars do exist and are grouped under the black panther umbrella by layman's terms. Hmm. So, I can't blame them, because I'm not getting close enough to a large wild cat to distinguish its features and find out if it's a leopard, jaguar, or cougar. That's fair. Those things are predators. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna go after you if they're, they're not sure of you, for sure. That thing that domestic cats do, where they roll over and you try to pet their chest and they grab your wrist and kick at your hand? Yeah. That's, that's too eviscerate. That's so that their back feet rip open your stomach. Yep. So, that's what I've got on the Wampus Cat. Um. I love it. If anyone wants to donate or volunteer to support Indigenous people, um, you can go to AppalachianCherokeeNation.net. And if you're looking for events, they have an events tab ranging through multiple states. Um, and at the time that this is recorded, which is December 27th of 2022, um, they have the Greeted by Wolves at the Colorado Springs Powwow, the DAR State Conference in Denver, Colorado, the Vinton Dogwood Festival in Vinton, Virginia, the Veterans Day Parade in Roanoke, Virginia, the Denver, Colorado Powwow, the Colorado Springs Powwow, the Sand Creek Massacre National Park, and images of female warriors who have served. 
Or, for big cat conservation efforts, you can check out bigcatrescue.org. Donations and volunteer support are both appreciated. They also have merch, memorial plaques, sponsorship options, and more. And, no, I did not realize that this is Carol Baskin's organization. Carol Baskin killed her, husband whacked him. We don't support her, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Until I looked at the accreditation page and locations to give you all the info, so there's that. But I did use them as a source, and their site seemed super informative and valid, so we might not like her. We do like big cats. Support something else if you want to. Well, at least, you know, people know one of the the things to go to. And even if you don't support Carol, I mean, God bless her, she's... You can say whatever you want to say about her, but at least she's trying to help conservation efforts, you know? Mm. Um, but also, we love big cats and little cats. I love big cats like the cat... The... <laughs> I love big cats like the wampus cat, and I love little cats like the fusas. Oh, I love fusa boys. From fusa to wampus. That sounds really dirty. From fusa to wampus? Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but it does. I, I would, you could hear my gears turning in my head. <laughs> I think it's that both of those words are like unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. So they just hit. Yeah, you could mistake them for something else. Yeah. All right. Well, that was episode four. All right. That means we have a whole month of episodes recorded and ready to go out. And release. Oh my gosh. I can't wait. So. I would say it's because we love you, but really it's because we want you to love us. <laughs> Give us love, please. Validate me, Daddy. I I just want to say that. This... <laughs> I'm sorry, I cracked my butt. <laughs> I. Uh... <laughs> oh my! I love how you're like scream dying, and I'm like internally silently dying at that. <laughs> I love that my daddy issues are making me want to cry. My daddy (laughs) issues gave me a radio show. Oh my gosh. Oh, okay. This is I'm going to pull that clip and I'm going to put it at the end of every episode. (laughs) Validate me, daddy. This is our Patreon. (laughs) This is our Patreon. I don't even know what I was going to (laughs) say. My brain is fried right now. It was funny, too. It was so funny. And I even cracked myself up a little bit. And now it's... Oh, okay. So this is this is my formal invitation to everyone who's listening to this podcast to give us validation. Um, just imagine me on the corner of a street wearing, <laughs> uh, wearing our merch and shaking a cup. Please validate us by listening. Okay, so you went with the little... Please, sir, may I have some more? (laughs) And I was over here, you said, just picture me on the corner of the street, and I was thinking, like, GTA hookers. (laughs) Yeah, picture me on the corner of the street with some thigh highs on, shaking my legs with my merch. Oh my god, and a fucking Mothman mask. Yeah, and a Mothman mask, and I come up to you and say, Validate me, daddy. (laughs) That sounds like a serial killer. I am crooks. On brand. I have to. <laughs> On brand. I have to sound like a serial killer. Um, otherwise, I'm not me. Um, all right. Thanks for listening.
Crooks and Creeps out!